put the participation trophies in the trash where they belong. That is one of the pieces of advice from a top expert on millennials. He's ready to share with us some practical ways to bridge the communication gap and build a corporate culture in which millennials and everyone else can thrive. It's Chris Tuff, author of The Millennial Whisperer on the Manager Message Podcast. Welcome to the Manager Message Podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most growth opportunities. And that can mean improvements in your revenue, customer engagement, employee engagement, and your brand and reputation. I do that through consulting, professional speaking, and advisory work. You can find out more at my website, jimcar.com. My programs include guidance for message leadership with groups of professionals, as well as messaging transformation across an organization and speaking programs for corporations and associations. On this podcast, we discuss three foundational components to help you manage your message. First, the message itself, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want your marketplace to know about. Second, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn your improvements into an everyday competitive advantage. My new book is available from Career Press. It's titled The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Indie Books. The audio version is on Audible, Apple. Basically, you can find it in various formats wherever fine business books are sold. You can also check out a sample of the intro and chapter one on my website, jimcard.com books. We bring all of this together for you because, simply put, it is much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. This episode is about communication to, by, and for millennials. We have the expert with us today. Chris Tuff is the author of the USA Today bestseller, The Millennial Whisperer. He's helping businesses bridge communication gaps between millennials and the rest of the workforce. What I most appreciate is that Chris offers strategies based upon both research and practice. In addition to his writing and speaking, Chris is a partner in 22 Squared, a full-service advertising agency. Now, technically, Chris is not a millennial, but as I have heard him describe himself, he's probably more of a millennial than are most millennials. If you're a millennial yourself or are managing them or selling to them, maybe all of the above, then you are in the right place. Chris, welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. Thanks, Jim, so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. This whole category of millennials, I think we might need to clarify just a little bit. And Chris, I'll have to be transparent here. I have some biases. I even wrote in my new book, I don't like big, clunky demographic categories such as millennials when it comes to explaining human behavior. But I think I've heard you say that that really big bucket known as millennials actually has several subgroups in it. Like one millennial is not the same as another, correct? Absolutely. And one of the biggest things that I set out in writing this book is that millennials aren't the problem. They just expose all the problems. And if you look at the world around us, 
like look at how fast everything's adapting and changing yet our corporations still go back to the way that we used to do business 10 20 30 40 years ago and so more than anything it's that recognizing that we've changed as people and let's use some of these wants and needs of the next generations to help actually be catalysts to change and you know i mean it comes down to not much different than what you're trying to do with creating a connection with a message you know i think that really when it comes down to the heart of this thing is that we need more empathy more connection in our workplaces and everything has changed around us so you know statistically you're talking about people that are born between 1981 and 1996 and so it's a huge generation and what i set out in my book is that is way too big so let's look at what makes within those that generation what makes older millennials and younger millennials so different from one another and there are two main things of why they're really two generations within this large one and the first one is when in their lives they adopted technology and the second one is when the recession hit either them or their parents and so i think it's with at least approaching it with two subgroups within there that we can start to wrap our heads around what it is that we need to be changing around. It is interesting that there would, and that makes sense, Chris, in terms of whether you're a so-called digital native or you've adopted it over time and what your cohort's been like. And then that big external threat, the event of the financial crisis in the late 2000s. If you are managing a diverse workforce that includes a lot of millennials, that will describe a lot of people in this audience, but also people who might sell to or want to sell to millennials. And and what are the right messages and the ways of showing empathy, of connecting with them better? So maybe let's start a little bit on the management side and we can talk There'll be some natural overlap there as well. Yeah, I mean, you are deep into this in terms of the management, what people of the generation and the subgroups respond to and how they like to be recognized and rewarded and coached and the areas where they want to have some autonomy. And so it seems like there are a lot of big, broad, false assumptions that might apply to millennials at work and where they best respond. So let's take a few of those. I know you've dug in some depth, maybe some areas like recognition and reward. There seems to be a lot of some bad practice and bad assumptions there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, one of the things I say around recognition and rewarding your employees, especially the millennials and Gen Z, is that if when your head hits the pillow at the end of the day and you're not utterly exhausted from overly recognizing and rewarding your people, you haven't done it enough. And the reason for that is if you look at this generation, it's important to look at what makes us who we are, right? And, uh, you know, they are a product of helicopter parenting as well as I think this whole anytime they wanted recognition, they would go and post something to Instagram. And then within, you know, however long they'd get 120 likes and they'd get that kind of instant gratification. And that is the product of what we're now experiencing within our workplace. So what is it that we can do to help bring more of that to make them feel, you know, I think recognized in the way that they're looking for? 
And it might not be the traditional, you know, more money or be part of the president's club or something along those lines, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you know, it's as simple as, so I use two examples in the book. One is the big blue rooster. And uh, the big blue rooster is an example of just an award that is given at a company out in San Francisco called Domo. And on people's first day at Domo, you know, it's this big converted warehouse and all their salespeople are kind of, you know, right next to each other in their desks. And on their first day of work, you put your name and what you want your at bat song. So what do you want to play over the loudspeakers when you're going up to bat? And then the other piece is that the first day of each month, once they get into the kind of warehouse area, there is uh, the salesperson's at-bat song played over the loudspeakers, blue sirens go off, and they take a 10-foot blue rooster on wheels and sit it next to that person's desk. And it sits there for the duration of the month. And I use that as an example of, you know, they're not giving away a bunch of options in their company. They're not giving away cash rewards. They're giving away a big blue rooster. So I will ask companies, what is your big blue rooster? Mm. So in that case, I, it sounds like the recognition has both the social element, kind of the social badge with their colleagues, but also when you talk about the at-bat music, so people get to in some way have their own imprint on what that recognition is going to be like, have it a little more personalized. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it's also, it's just the recognition rewards needs to be constant. And, you know, if I say tactics like, Anytime that someone on your team gets a compliment from a client or from another employee, go ahead and forward it to the CEO and CC them and say, you know, I just wanted to give a huge props to Justin for killing it today or, you know, for the compliment. And then the CEO will respond. Yeah, great job, Justin. And just doing things like that. It doesn't have to be a big blue rooster or something, you know, as elaborate as some of those examples, but we got to be doing a lot more of it. And, you know, I think deep down as human beings, if you get down to the core of it is we all want to just be accepted and loved. (laughs) And so how do we create that environment within our organizations where people feel that? And, you know, connection is such an important part and reward and recognition is one part of it. But the other part of it is, and I think what they're looking for in terms of that autonomy and transparency, which are two of the top four leadership traits that they're looking for, is they're looking for real connection with their bosses. And so that idea that as bosses, we can't be friends with our people, you got to throw that out the window. I will tell, you know, different companies that I'm talking to right now that you've got to develop a relationship that is beyond just a you being their boss. And the first thing you should do is follow them on Instagram and connect with them on Facebook and elsewhere. And if that feels awkward, then you got to work on that relationship. But come time, when you come in on a Monday, it means a lot more to let's just say her name's Meg on your team. When you say, Meg, oh my gosh, that habitat build that you did looked epic. Or, you know, that dog you adopted is so cute. Where'd you find it? That's creating a connection that I think especially this next generation is yearning. So I think there's kind of two sides to that whole thing. And if you look at kind of this top four 
things that they're looking in, they're looking for in their leaders, autonomy and transparency are two pieces of that. And I can talk a lot about that. (laughs) And, you know, what they're looking for in terms of transparency is they're looking for context. They're looking for you to be a real human because they want to see you as a real human. And so talk about when you make a mistake, talk about what that mistake is. Talk about how you learn from that mistake so you can give them more context to why you're making the decisions you're making. The other piece is that, you know, along autonomy is they don't want to be micromanaged. And so if you can't trust them to do the work that you hired them for, then maybe you should look at hiring different people. And, you know, I go into also, you know, culture fit is such an important piece and and it's so hard to get right. So test drive your employees before you actually hire them full time. You know, and everyone on my teams, they will actually do six weeks of a trial period. And then we decide after those six weeks whether or not they're a good culture fit as well as, you know, I think have the work ethic, et cetera. And we 20% succeed. And that's a lot better than the 80% of bad hires that a lot of people make. It's interesting as you were talking about there is, and there are a lot of areas here that could be seemingly in conflict, but I think there are ways to bring them together. So you spoke about autonomy, and I know we can dig deeper into that. A lot of it, I think, gets into work schedules and work environments and you know time allocated to things. You don't want busy work, et cetera. But you also talk that millennials in particular don't want to be micromanaged. Chris, I was looking, I did some research for my book, and one of the things that I noticed that research about the type of communication on the job that millennials tend to prefer from their managers. And it's less of the digital. Like they don't necessarily want to have an email or even an instant message when it comes to coaching, like you know, ways of suggestions that they can do their jobs and helping them with the skills for that. They really preferred face-to-face. And it's pretty consistent that in survey research that millennials actually want more coaching from their managers, which is different than micromanaging, right? So it's coaching. And I think as you were talking about some transparency about, hey, here's what we're trying to accomplish. You know, maybe here's some ways we've messed it up before I've messed it up, but here are some things that we think would work. In bringing those parts together, what are you finding aside from micromanaging, which doesn't work, in terms of coaching and modeling behavior that is going to be most effective? Well, I think one of the things that we need to do is we got to break down that line between our personal lives and our professional lives. I think the first thing that did that is the smartphone broke that down already. And so we have this idea that those things need to be delineated and they shouldn't, you know, I I think instead be, I think it's more of a blurred line. And I use in the book, an example of a vice president, who's also a good friend of mine, Mike Hibbison from the Home Depot. And he approaches all of his one-on-ones, which are super important to your point. You know, they need to be in person or at least on a Zoom call where you're creating that connection with that person. But he gives each one of them the option to either talk about their business or to talk about their personal lives. And 80% of the time, they choose to talk about their personal lives. And it's through that talking about their personal lives that they then can uncover some of the bigger things that are going on in that person's life, but also where that connection is made that then motivates that person to actually really want to work for Mike in this instance. And so, you know, I think that a lot of times for whatever reason, we've been brought up that there needs to 
be that separation. And you know, one of my big messages is that, no, absolutely not. I think that we need to create that. You know, the other piece that I think is important to bring to light, just the idea of autonomy. In researching my book, I went to one of the best research tools, which you may have used as well, Google. (laughs) And I Googled number one. (laughs) Yeah. I Googled number one boss for millennials. I'm like, okay, there's got to be a list out there. And sure enough, Forbes called this guy out of Philadelphia the number one boss for millennials. And so I, I reached out to this guy and I called him and I had you know, a lot of questions for him. But the biggest one was I wanted to hear about what this idea of autonomy meant. And, you know, Ben, his name is Ben Kirshner, and he has a company called Elite SEM. And Ben responded, he goes, have you ever heard of the term protect this house? I was like, I think so. Tell me more. He was like, well, Under Armour did a campaign around it. And I remind my people that it's up to them to protect this house, that if you have a bad culture fit, if you have a bad work fit, if you have someone that is trying, we have unlimited paid vacation. If you want someone to cover for you, get them, find them on your own. And it's up to you to protect this house. We've created something special here, something that's worth fighting for. And he pushes down that autonomy to them with this idea of protect your house. And I always thought that that was a great terminology to be used within our places. And if we don't have something that's worth protecting, then I think we need to look a little bit closer as to what that culture that we're creating looks like. So I always like that idea of protect your house for the autonomy piece. That's an interesting touchstone because it encompasses the why and the what, but it's not the how. It's not the details of exactly what that means, but the sense that there would be a culture that everyone can, you're accountable to, but also elevates everyone in terms of how that plays out in the day-to-day relationships on the job. And whether you're supporting someone who's taking some extra time off, or you're making sure that your work gets done, if you take some extra time off, et cetera, right? Sure. And, you know, we've got two out of the four top leadership traits. And the other two are number one is inspirational leadership, which millennials are looking for, according to the 2018 Deloitte Millennial Survey. Number one is inspirational leadership. And then the other one is purpose. And, you know, it's really with both those things that we can probably dive a little deeper. But in inspirational leadership, I think, is oftentimes misinterpreted, where at least on a self-assessment basis, a lot of people think they're inspirational, but in fact, they are not. And if you ask Bob, for example, and Bob, let's just say Bob has 30 young employees underneath them. He's like, hey, Bob, so the number one thing that these young employees are looking for is inspirational leadership. Do you think you're an inspirational leader? Bob will be like, heck yeah. They, you know, they light up anytime I talk to them. They laugh at my jokes. Yeah, I'm inspirational. Absolutely. It's like, thanks, Bob. And then you ask two people on Bob's team. It's like, hey, listen, we want to ask you a question. Is Bob an inspirational leader? And their first question back is always, is Bob going to find out if I tell you the truth? It's like, no, Bob's not going to find out. And it's like, heck no, he's not. He's not inspirational. You know, he's blah, blah, blah. And so I think that this idea of being an inspirational leader is really important because also we need to be putting a stake in the ground and telling our people where it is that we're going and to what you do, managing your message, what they're looking for in this inspirational leadership isn't necessarily a keynote speaker that can you know hold the room. They're looking for a consistent message that actually rings true to what it is that's driving them. And they want to be 
you've got to make we've got to make sure that that's being reiterated time and time again. And so, you know, introverted leaders will come to me and be like, hey, listen, like, I don't know about this inspirational leadership thing. And I'm like, well, listen, there's a lot of ways that you can be inspirational without necessarily being outwardly gregarious, etc. So I think that's an important point. And then you look at purpose. You know, one of the big things that I emphasize is that all organizations need to actually have a purpose in place that is bigger than their bottom line or their profit, you know, essentially numbers. And that purpose needs to be bigger. And you got to walk the talk when you put that purpose in place. And so our organization, which is 370 employees strong, our purpose is together we give rise to change. And that means it's kind of dual purpose, you know, giving rise to change in the world as it relates to our the needs and marketing techniques needed for our different clients. But also it means together we give rise to change to actually making a difference in the world and encouraging our clients to actually give back. But we also give all of our employees five days off to donate their time to a charity of their choice to actually give rise to change. And so, you know, this idea of purpose is so important. And this is where I think the greatest probably, you know, overlap with the marketing message is huge, where as we're marketing our message into these different mediums, it's so important that your message have some component of purpose associated to it. So what is it that your company represents that makes you differentiated? How are you making a difference? I mean, you look at Patagonia, right? I mean, some of our really successful purpose-oriented brands that are actually using it to put themselves out there, but not using it just for the sake of selling. They actually walk the talk. And one thing around purpose that we got to be really careful for is you can't be a hypocrite because you will get destroyed if you're hypocritical about it. Well, and that is a great point. And, and I, when you think about the message, because there is the internal and the external message, and if those aren't in alignment and if you're not living those out, then you have a problem and you should have a problem, frankly. So Chris, not to lead the witness here a little bit, but I am curious is uh, to follow through that example. So when you were talking about purpose and your purpose at 22 squared is about, as you said, giving rise to change, correct? Yep. Correct. So as people, so how do you tie that together just as a, in a practical sense? So obviously you would look at this and say, we help our clients to be able to do that, things that are changing in organizations and in their markets. And that's a barometer of how well we do our work for them. But as you have your, your colleagues taking five days off to pick some cause or organization or some work to do that as well. Is there the opportunity for them to report that back and to show, as you were talking about earlier, about recognition? And so for them to be able to socialize the work that they do and really tie all that back together. Yeah, we actually have a, um, it's funny, people will ask us, ask me, so what's the culture like? You know, how do you define culture at 22 squared? And one of my big kind of points is that culture is created by your employees, not by your leaders. I think it's a byproduct of actually good leadership, your culture. And a lot of those things that, you know, we do, you know, one of the big parts of those, that being the five days that we give our employees to give back, there's a catch-all that's a hashtag 22 culture, which is probably the best way that I can define our culture. 
because it's not, you can't really put your finger on it. But if you look at that hashtag 22 culture, that's where a lot of these people share their experiences, donating their time to their charities of choice and giving back. And there's actually over 4,000 posts, I think now on Instagram of employees that are sharing what their definition of 22 culture is. And so I think giving your employees an environment to where they can celebrate that and also acting as a catch-all for all of these things as your culture continues to evolve. I think testament to that is whether or not people will adopt a hashtag on your behalf to share those things. So I do think that allowing them to share it is important. And then also, you know, to the next piece that I emphasize to a lot of people, and I'll actually go into these rooms and I'll ask you know, how many people know their individual purpose statements. And very few do. It surprises me. Mine is to inspire and connect. So I actually work with all of my employees on defining their own personal purpose statements as well. And what we do is we figure out, all right, what's your current job? Let's look at what your duties are. And then let's figure out what do we need to create in your side hustle, which I say everyone's got to embrace their employee's side hustle. But what do we need to do in terms of creating a side hustle for you that will help scratch that itch for where your purpose lies? And it's through that kind of supporting their side hustle and, you know, pursuing a bit of that purpose that I feel like these employees actually really start to thrive and reach for that next big thing without having to quit their job to pursue it. And you look at the numbers. I mean, people are jumping around from job to job to job now more than ever before. And we can talk about a lot of the reasons why we think that is. But I think, you know, for the first time ever, we have a generation that if you're not willing to do a few of these things and actually help them pursue what it is that they're passionate about, they will walk. They will walk without another job in place. So I'm tending to go on a rant right now, but uh, obviously I I get very passionate about this stuff. (laughs) Well, and uh, a point to everyone, to our message manager listeners here, I would imagine that for most people, even if they don't really have a fluid purpose statement, or if you ask them to describe the culture in your agency, that their default would be to tell a story something that they did, something that they observed. And this is where a lot of that power of storytelling can come into play. So I think it's very important that the things that you do there, Chris, in terms of getting people to tell their stories, share their stories as a way to reinforce the culture and give people a language, a more natural language to express that. I did want to cover at least a couple more things while I have you here, Chris. One is that, and you talked how phones and digital technology have come to define so much of millennials and their approach to work and and to their personal lives as well. But you also point out in the book, there are the downsides. And we're wringing our hands about these a lot across our society. You have a very interesting term. Let's see if I can say it right the first time. Pinterestation. Yeah, that's right. And as an example of how that is fueling some millennial angst, could you explain what that means and where you're seeing it pop up? Yeah, I mean, there's no better time to talk about it than the first week of school. And, you know, anyone can attest to the fact that their feeds are filled with these beautiful pictures of these ridiculous children from ages three on holding these, you know, blackboards with, you know, perfectly cursive Abigail's first day and their teacher's name and their favorite food. Everyone's smiling and they're in the perfect dresses. And 
it's that ruthless pursuit of perfection that a lot of people are now putting into their doing it for the gram, if you will. And it is that hustle that, you know, we're putting this this perfection out into the social feeds because our social feeds have become an extension of they're the new product purses, um, especially for these next generations, if it hasn't also for you. And so I call it the Pinterestation of a generation because we're all doing it. And I use an example in the book and it's embarrassing, but I hired a fishing guide four years ago when I was in Sun Valley, Idaho. And the first thing I tell all of my employees is this story because I'm like, listen, I do it too. I've done it. I hired a fishing guide. I was out there for a wedding and I told the fishing guide, I was like, listen, I don't even care about fishing. All right. And this guide's looking at me and being like, what is happening here? You know, I was like, okay, so I don't care about fishing. I want two shots. I want one of the trout, you know, with the kind of net behind it. And I want a video of me, Brad pitting it like a river runs through it with the river going. And, and that's what I want. I want those two shots. I'll pay you 600 bucks and let's go. He goes, but you're going to pay me $600 for an Instagram post. And I was like, no, $300 each. Let's go. And it's embarrassing to admit to that. But I think there's an element of that in a lot of what we do. And so, you know, this idea that the grass is always greener on the other side is not a reality because the reality that this generation is seeing, it's not attainable. And so what I do is I introduce people both to that story, but then also to what I call my 70-30 role, which tactically speaking, on their first day, we take their job description and we figure out what's in your 70% zone, meaning what's going to be firing you up and fueling you up and getting you excited. And then what's in your 30% suck zone where it just, you know, 30% of all jobs suck. And it's understanding that that is the reality. Well, work involves work, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And by defining what's in your 30%, when they're doing three days in a row of that, instead of going and quitting or complaining about it, they will actually power through to the next 70 per- until they get into that 70% zone. And, you know, I think that this, to your point, like I hate these nomenclatures that kind of just end up being labels for especially generations. And there's always issues as we move into the next generation. And there has ever since the beginning of time. And the biggest thing that we need to do is talk about more of the give and take in the relationship in terms of what can this next generation learn from us and what can we learn from them? And part of that give and take, I think, is there are trade-offs to the fact that at age 13, they were given a cell phone with a Snapchat account attached to it. And you know, you compare that to any of us, and I was born in 1980, I'm right on the cusp, but you know, you talk about your first flirtations, right? I mean, I even, born in 1980, I had to pick up a phone. I had to call a house where a parent would usually pick up. I'd have to get through that gate. And then I then have to set up a time with this person on the other line who I wanted to flirt with to then actually meet in person. I mean, you've got like seven interpersonal touch points that that is that's creating an interpersonal muscle versus the 13-year-old of this next generation that was given a Snapchat account. They're doing their first flirtations on their back as they sit in their bed, you know, without any of that muscle being created. And so, you know, what I mean by that is that this is a give and take thing. And I think what we owe this next generation is we've got to help them develop some of those interpersonal muscles. We've got to help 
create that connection and scratch, I think, a little bit of that yearning and itch for them to see their, they see you as a real person. And that's where I feel like there's so much work to be done and where I get so excited to see immediate impact with just a few tweaks. And that's what the Millennial Whisper is all about. you know. And yeah, I tell everyone, if you don't have enough time to read it, just read the last bit, which is the make it happen section and start trying to put some of those things into place and you'll see immediate return in terms of, you know, you'll hold your employees for longer periods of time. You'll be able to attract better talent and then therefore better clients. So that's my quick passion tirade on that. (laughs) Well, message manager listeners, you should read the whole thing. I did. And it's really good. And by the way, Chris, you display transparency. One of those four pillars of leadership there in telling the fish story. So congratulations on that. One final question, and it really, because millennials are, I think we're at the point now where they are the largest in the broad category, the largest component of the U.S. workforce. If not already, then it's really close. And so it's interesting now, millennials are not just necessarily your youngest workers, the people that you're onboarding and bringing on, and many of them are managers themselves. And they're dealing with Gen Xers like me and even boomers on one side. And now you've got the real kids coming up on the other on the other side. Any guidance of what you've seen for our millennial listeners, a ways that they can stand out, maybe violate some of the assumptions, the limiting assumptions that people have in, in terms of the give and take conversational skills, their message and the ways that they can stand out from the crowd. Yeah, I mean, that I think has been one of the biggest surprises to me is in writing this book directed towards boomers and Xers, really. I've gotten probably the warmest welcome from millennials, where a lot of them are like, I saw one tweet saying, dear author of the millennial whisperer, and he didn't, you know, they didn't even look me up. I just sent my boss who I quit on last week, a copy of your book as guidance to his future employees. And so I think that that you'll find with a lot of the words in the book, it's like, oh yeah, no duh. Like kind of like, oh yeah, this is exactly the stuff that we should be doing. But you know, one of the reasons why I wrote this book is because I was, I got so excited with all, I've always been surrounded by employees younger than myself and found my greatest fulfillment in being their coach and helping them kind of push to the next levels. And so, you know, my biggest emphasis to those people are the same things that I tell my own employees, which is your life needs to be a ruthless pursuit of passions. And you're doing yourself a disservice if you are not passionate about what you're doing. If, you know, I call it my sitting in your car rule, and um, which is just if two days in a row you're sitting in your car and you have that sense of dread to go in and it's not associated to your own procrastination or your own kind of self-development, meaning you're pushing yourself, then you've got to start making some changes. And the other thing I would emphasize, which is kind of becoming my next thing, which is, you know, understanding what is your currency in the marketplace. And I mean, Jim, you know it, your currency is, is your book. I mean, it's managing your message and how do you bring that to life? For me, it was for so long kind of digital and social media. And then I had to recreate that with this book. And it's about how do we lead with more empathy and more connection? And how can that then change people's lives? And so I would encourage everyone to dig deep and figure out what is it that's driving you? Are you motivated in the right ways? And then how do you 
actually create a path for yourself where those things can become a reality and just be patient in order to get there. And I'm not the most patient person in the world. And also deep down, I'm more of a millennial than most millennials. So I get it. And if anyone has any questions, reach out to me. I mean, the best ways to get in touch with me, I'm at tough22 on Instagram, as well as uh, forward slash Christopher Tough on LinkedIn. And then there's also a contact form on the millennialwhisper.com. So just feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to take any questions and uh, help. Chris Tough, this has been terrific. We will have those links in our show description, of course. Everyone, I think not just for millennials or two millennials, but those components of autonomy, transparency, inspirational leadership, and purpose apply pretty broadly. Uh, he is the author of The Millennial Whisperer, Chris Tuff. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah. And Jim, we did set up a link just for listeners at themillennialwhisperer.com forward slash M-Y-M. And on that, we have a free download of my first chapter of the book, as well as a free millennial leadership assessment, which breaks down a self-assessment about how you manage around kind of these eight tenets of what it takes to be a successful millennial leader in today's day and age. So we got that set up as well. Well, Chris, that's generous. Thank you very much. And we'll link to that as well. Can't wait to see what your next bit of currency is going to be. (laughs) Awesome. I appreciate it. I am very pleased that you've joined the podcast, whether you're a returning message manager, or maybe this is your first time in. We continue to build momentum, and that's because so many of you have been recommending us to friends and colleagues and leaving those five-star ratings. If you haven't yet done so, please take just a few seconds, tap subscribe, and offer your five-star rating and review that helps the robots figure out how to let other professionals know about this podcast so they can benefit as well. There's another free business messaging resource available to you, one you can read, the Message Manager Memo. It comes to your email inbox each week, a brief read with something you can put to work right away. You can sign up at the website, jimcar.com, K-A- R-R-H. And while you're there, you probably know of a professional association or a company full of people looking for ways to improve their professional conversations and to grow the business. You're probably part of more than one yourself. Well, on my website, you'll see a speaking page as well as a related page just for event professionals, the hardworking and often stressed out colleagues who need to find speakers and other ideas for making in-person events memorable and valuable. I list several keynote and session topics. They're all based upon practical learnings from my new book, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. All of my topics are tailored to the themes of your meeting and the needs of your participants. My programs are designed to not only be engaging in the moment, but also to provide the basis for business growth for months and sometimes even years afterward. You can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com and set up a time to talk by phone if you like. My direct number is also on the website. Let's talk. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. 
and connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.